So I was thinking this morning, partly because in a way we're at the beginning of a cycle uh, of um, Sylvia having started a sabbatical period, and partly because we're um, at this time of the season where we come up to the time of darkness, the solstice, the new year, I wanted to get back to fundamentals. So I want to talk about the question, why do we practice? And I'd invite us all, just for a moment right now, to ask yourself that question. Why do I practice? And it's partly to invite that, that deeper intention. Why do I, why do I practice to cultivate mindfulness or wisdom or compassion or love? And if you had to give a very succinct response, you know, maybe um, like a short sentence or a few words, like one non-run-on sentence, (laughs) what would it be? (laughs) Please. Peace of mind. Peace of mind. Why do you practice peace of mind, to develop peace of mind? Please, Aghidra. To soften and open your heart. Yeah. Please, Elizabeth. I practice to prevent being out of control. To prevent being out of control. Mm-hmm. Please. To cause no harm. To cause no harm. Please. Presence. Presence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Structured focus. Structured focus. Clarity. Clarity. To use to use this precious human life in a valuable way, yeah. yeah. Any others? I was going to say to relieve angst. To relieve angst, anxiety, yeah, yeah. So these these are the basic answers to the question, and we, we can we can end right now. <laughs> but for the sake of for the sake of discussion. It kind of reminds me, I think there were, there, there's a Rumi poem that begins something like uh, uh, two dervishes, uh, two Sufi practitioners talking to each other, and they ask, um, have you really deeply experienced God? And the one says, no, and neither have I. But for the sake of conversation, I'll tell a story. <laughs> so, so, so the rest of this talk. Um, so it is this powerful time, and to come back to our deeper intentions. And this in itself is a wonderful practice that uh, we did at the beginning of the sitting, just to ask ourselves, what is my deeper intention? And then to ask, 
what are the specific intentions I have for this sitting? And it's a, it's a very important practice for our lives to stay somehow in touch with what's uh, deeper. Because we know that in our lives, our deeper intentions often get covered over by the busyness, by our survival mechanisms, by our to-do lists, by holiday shopping, and so forth, by um, television, media, distractions, and so forth. And it's a really crucial part of our, of our uh, practice to remember why we practice and to come back to that motivation. And this time of year is a wonderful time when it's most dark, when we even recognize the, with the New Year celebration the, the importance of setting intentions, of coming back to deeper values, deeper motivations. And yet it's ironic that in a way this is also the time when our culture, when nature sort of says, be quiet, go deep, sink your roots down, we're most frenetic. You know, we're most crazy in a way. You know, uh, and you know, um, the, the the shopping areas are like really berserk the next few weekends, right? <laughs> and you can, it's a place to go do metta and do practice. So it's it's really important to ask this question and to come back. And I want to address it by giving a number of responses to that question and explore those. Why do we practice? Because we don't know ourselves. Because we're confused. There's a way in which we don't know ourselves in our deeper nature. We don't know ourselves often in our more superficial nature either. And we practice partly to go deep, more deeply into ourselves. The great Mahayana teacher Shanti Deva said it this way about the world, actually. He said, this entire world is disturbed with insanity due to the exertions of those who are confused about themselves. There's something about our practice which cuts through that confusion, which brings us uh, self-knowledge in a way, um, which brings us self-knowledge both in terms of knowing how our minds work, how our bodies work, how our particular personalities work, and also bringing us to more to the depths. Uh, there's, um, there's an interesting passage that um, the philosopher Nietzsche wrote uh, over a century ago. He was talking about European culture and how the people who were the greatest minds and scientists didn't know themselves. And he said it this way, We are unknown to ourselves, we men of knowledge, and with good reason. We have never sought ourselves. How could it happen that we could ever find ourselves? So we are necessarily strangers to ourselves. We do not comprehend ourselves. We have to misunderstand ourselves. We are not men of knowledge with respect to ourselves. And I think he was actually, uh, I don't know if he was intentionally using the reference to men, but at that time, and even now, it really is men of knowledge, so to speak, not, not so much people of knowledge who don't know ourselves. And so we practice to know ourselves, 
you know, and we were, we were talking this morning in the uh, ethics renewal, I, I remembered the phrase from Trungpa Rinpoche, which he said that um, self-knowledge is 70% bad news. <laughs> so there's, there's, a, there's, a <laughs> there's a certain way in which we sit, we watch our minds, and, and it's very sobering, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, partly what we do here, like, oh my God, did I say that? <laughs> you know, and... And we, we luckily, you know, no one, no one has invented a um, machine that can amplify meditators' thoughts and broadcast it to, so everyone else could hear. But if we were doing that, what would it be like? You know, and sometimes we do exercises where we invite uh, ourselves to do what we call meditation out loud and we just say whatever goes in our mind. And it takes, we have to have a, a certain amount of trust and absence of shame <laughs> to do that. But, but there is the way in which we practice to know ourselves. We practice to know our patterns, our, the way our minds work, what leads to our suffering. You know, what leads to, when this happens to me, where do I go? How do I know my patterns? How do I know my patterns, which at first may be quite unconscious? A lot of a lot of self-knowledge is going beneath the surface. It's going off a roadway. And we practice to go there. We practice to know ourselves more deeply. We practice to know, in a way, um, life and our, and our possibilities more deeply. I was thinking of this. There's this, um, another poem. We read a lot of poems of Mary Oliver. And this is another poem that is really about, um, it's about practicing to know ourselves and to know life particularly in the context of death. And this is the, this poem called When Death Comes, which is a very beautiful, powerful poem. And this is really, this could be her answer to the question of why do we practice. When death comes like the hungry bear in autumn, when death comes and takes all the bright coin from his purse to buy me and snaps the purse shut, when death comes like the measle pox, when death comes, like an iceberg between the shoulder blades. I want to step through that door full of curiosity, wondering what is it going to be like, that cottage of darkness. And therefore, I look upon everything as a brotherhood and a sisterhood, and I look upon time as no more than an idea, and I consider eternity as another possibility. And I think of each life as a flower, as common as a field daisy, and as singular, and each name a comfortable music in the mouth, tending, as all music does, towards silence. And each body a lion of courage and something precious to the earth. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Why do we practice? Because they're suffering. We practice to know suffering and to transform suffering. 
And remember the Buddha said, when in the teaching about suffering, he didn't say, there is my suffering. He said, there is suffering. And we transform suffering really wherever we find it, whether it's in ourselves or others. Um, yesterday I got an email which had uh, some very intense material from Iraq. You know, it was basically saying that the conditions there are really horrible, that the suffering there is intense. And we know that, and we, we may not know the depths of it. I thought I would just read a little bit. This was, this was an email. The first is from uh, an Iraqi man who was talking about going out to try to sell automobiles. He had an automobile he wanted to sell, and he, it was very hard to do. And this is just his, some of his experiences. He said, you know, he went out, but he said, I had to leave because this is in Baghdad. Life ends at about 2 or 3 p.m. in Baghdad, at which point it changes into a city of horrors. The sounds of mortars and clashes erupt all through the night. Two explosions just rumbled nearby, but we can't tell the exact location. The next day he wrote, Today when I was arranging for the car to be sold, at the highest price I could find, explosions burst almost 50 meters from the place where I was standing. I was forced to hide under the car I was selling for over two hours. There were ongoing clashes between the Iraqi army and resistance fighters in broad daylight in the middle of the capital. Another person said, Life here has become impossible because of the militia, sectarian violence, and the occupation forces. Every day we see the dead bodies near our homes which have been killed by the militias. We watch how the U.S. troops see these dead bodies and do nothing to stop the violence. Two of my brothers just left their houses and rented a new place because they were living in a Shia area as Sunnis. They had to run away just because they were Sunnis. And so there's that level of, of suffering. That, and we, we practice to uproot the roots of suffering in ourselves and in others and to bring that, uh, bring that understanding out into the world. And in that sense, we... we are invited as this practice actually to know more deeply our own suffering and the suffering around us and to know the roots and to be able to be people who when we suffer, we don't react and cause suffering for others. So that's really part of why we practice as well. Why do we practice? Because we're wounded. We're all in a way wounded. We have our own injuries, our own distortions. None of us can really manifest fully the way we want to be. We all have conditioning that, in a sense, distorts our wisdom, distorts our love. We're all wounded. I'm reminded of this, um, some of you know the phrase that comes particularly from shamanism, uh, the phrase, the wounded healer. In a way, we're all wounded healers. We're all wounded healers in training. Uh, there's a powerful passage. Let me see where this is. There's a powerful passage from Albert Camus where he says this, We all carry within us our places of exile, our crimes and our ravages, but our task is not to unleash them on the world. It is to transform them in ourselves and in others. We all carry within us our places of exile, our crimes, our ravages, 
Our task is not to unleash them on the world, but really to transform them. And so we learn in a way to know our own wounds and, and learn to be compassionate towards them. Learn to have this big space of mind that can be with it and still act. And we learn out of really the compassion that's in part born by being with our own suffering, we become more compassionate to others. In a way, we, in going into our own suffering, which is not easy, and which again the practice helps us to do, we come to see when someone else suffers, we say, oh, I know that. I've seen that. Maybe not in the exact same way, <clears throat> but I know, I know that some. There can be a resonance or an empathy. So why do we suffer? Or, sorry, why do we practice? Because we're wounded. Why do we practice? Because there's beauty and awe. So there's, um, there's a way in which the, the beauty of human beings and of uh, the, the earth, the natural world, the beauty of our minds uh, draws us in a way. And so I would say we don't just practice because there's suffering. We practice also because there's beauty. And it's sometimes uh, hard to hold them together. I, I can think of conversations with uh, dear friends, sometimes in, in, in some... I remember one conversation with one friend and she came to me and she said, how can there be so much beauty and so much suffering? How can they coexist? But they do. And part of the reason we practice is because we're, in a way, uh, drawn by the beautiful. There is, there is beauty. There's a beautiful passage from Thomas Merton where he talks about the beauty of human beings in this way. This is, this is an experience that he had. Uh, some of you know Merton was a Christian contemplative monk who lived in a monastery in uh, Kentucky, uh, about 50 miles south of Louisville and west of Lexington. And I used to go there all the time because I lived in Kentucky for four years. And he would sometimes go to Louisville. Most of the time he was just in the monastery. But he'd go to Louisville primarily for medical appointments. And on one time, I think one time when he was waiting for a bus in Louisville, he had this uh, kind of epiphany, we would say, this, this deep experience. And this is what he wrote about it. He, he was standing at a corner, I think, waiting for a bus. Then it was as if I suddenly saw the secret beauty of hearts, the depths of their hearts where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach the core of their reality the person that each one is in God's eyes, so using Christian language here, if only they could see themselves as they really are, if only we could see each other that way all the time, if we could see our beauty, there would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. I suppose the big problem is that we would fall down and worship each other. So there's this, we practice because there's beauty, we practice because something tells us that there's something very deep and powerful in our, in our being. The Buddha talks about our luminous mind, this brightly shining quality that's there, that is, that is often covered over. And so we practice because we have a sense of that potential. Why do we practice? 
Because intentions are magical. It's another answer to the question. Why do we practice? Because intentions are magical and powerful. That we can actually, um, no matter what's happened, we can bring consciousness, intention, awareness, and we have a kind of freedom in the moment that comes with our practice. When there's enough mindfulness, when there's enough awareness, we don't have to be bound by bad habits or what's happened in the past. And so in that sense, we're not bound by the conditioning so much. And the Buddha talked particularly about intention as being right at the heart of our practice. And many of you know, he explicated karma, this mysterious doctrine of karma. He said that the essence of karma is intention. And so we don't think of karma so much as it's sometimes understood in a popular way as this mystical calculus of, um, you know, I do one thing and something else happens. You know, I, I, I say something nasty to my partner at breakfast and at lunch the boss yells at me. <laughs> there it is. Instant karma. Wasn't that a, was that a, was that a Beatles song or something? I think so. I think so. so. This notion of instant karma, or I remember, you know, we have this notion. Of, I remember a friend came to visit me for a while, and one morning she, um, she used the toilet and it got clogged, and she said, That's my karma. <laughs> you know, as if I don't know what kind of karma leads to clogging <laughs> toilets, but, but there is, but this was. And we talked about it for a while. <laughs> so, so there it was. So, but the Buddha said, no, the, the deeper meaning of karma is that with our intentions, we shape future intentions. It's like the way our minds incline strongly um, shape how our minds will incline in the future. So he said, have a generous mind, we're strengthening generosity. Have a kind mind, we're straining we're strengthening kindness. And so it really points to the way that every moment of our life matters. You know, we, 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 sometimes we think, oh, these moments matter and these moments don't matter. Has anyone ever had that thought? It doesn't matter what I'm doing now, but here it really matters. And that's, that's a trick. That's, it actually, every moment matters because every moment is, in a sense, preparing us for a future moment. I found something in the newspaper yesterday, actually from the sports pages, which I read sometimes. This is, this is a statement on karma by one of the defensive linemen for the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> Some of you, anyone follows sports, this is someone who's been a, a quite excellent player named Warren Sapp. Does anyone know his name? Warren Sapp, he said this. This is about karma, according to Warren Sapp. In anything, you become what you repeatedly do. And if you do something over and over again, it becomes like walking. It becomes like chewing gum, waking up and brushing your teeth in the morning. It's a no-brainer. It's not what you do. It's just what you do. Should I read that again? <laughs> In anything, you become what you repeatedly do. The Buddha would have used almost the exact same words. That this is the, the deeper meaning of karma. And it's, it's actually a powerful teaching because it really points to the way that we can um, have some freedom in the moment. 
because we can set intentions, it means that we're not bound by something that happened in the past. And one of the most powerful um, and most moving kinds of experiences from in my life have often been to look at people who've suffered a lot and see how they're able to break free of either thinking that they're doomed or that because they've suffered nothing good can happen or because they've suffered they should take it out on someone else. And, you know, I think of, I thought of a few people. I thought of, you know, Nelson Mandela who's in a prison for 27 years and comes out without bitterness, apparently. I'm sure there's some, but without a lot of bitterness. How is that possible? You know, or... Or um, I had a talk with a friend of mine who has had these, these tremendous difficulties. And she was able to say, you know, my mind sometimes says, because I've had these difficulties, nothing good will happen. And I listen to them and I say, thank you, you've had your say. And she goes ahead and, try, and, does, and sets her intention. And that's really, that can only come with mindfulness, that can only come with presence, with, it can only come with knowing ourselves. And it's a, a powerful aspect of our practice that we can actually, no matter what's happened, if we have enough awareness, we don't need to be bound by the past or by past suffering. There's a, there's a, there, there, there's a freedom. And this is really precisely where freedom comes in the present moment from saying, do I want to go there? My mind is saying, you got to go there. And I'm saying... I have another choice. And so it's a very powerful reason why we practice because intentions have power. And we can set intentions and we can actually shift the way we're tending to go. We can ask ourselves, what do I want here? And we can move with what we think is wiser. Why do we practice? Because it's possible to learn. Isn't that amazing? That we, again, we're not bound so much by the past that we can, we can have that sense of freedom, that learning and transformation is possible, no matter what's happened. Isn't that amazing? That we're not stuck by the past, we're not stuck in time, but that we can actually um, learn, develop, even if it's hard, that, we can, that transformation is real and possible. Why do we practice? It's to remind ourselves of that, it's to set the conditions for that being more likely. Again, it's particularly in our difficulties that we sometimes think that it's hard to practice. And there's a beautiful uh, statement in some of the Tibetan teachings which says, transform all obstacles into the path of practice. Transform all obstacles into the path of practice, which is really saying, can I learn from anything? Can anything not be so much a part of a scorecard where I say, oh, that was bad, that was good, but can I actually learn from whatever's happening? Can I approach all situations, even difficult ones, from the standpoint of learning? That's really the motivation of practice. Why do we practice? So that we might do that more often. So that we might take difficulties and, and be able still to learn from them. Amazing, right? Has anyone ever, did anyone teach you that you could learn from difficulties? Maybe some. But a lot of our conditioning was to say we should just have good experiences and difficulties are bad and we should get rid of them. And this is a different attitude. It's to say I can learn from anything, that learning is possible. Why do we practice? Because the world is burning. In part, and because the Buddha sometimes talked about 
our lives as burning without our even knowing it. He talked sometimes about us living as if we were in a burning house and we don't know it, that it's burning with, he said, with greed and hatred and delusion and we don't even know that. There's a, there's a, there's a text, a teaching, called, which is called the Fire Sermon where he said it like this. Practitioners, everything is burning. Could imagine maybe maybe they were being slackers or something, and he had to rouse them up or something. You know, they were they were just saying, "Oh, we're really good meditators." He said, "Wait a second, practitioners, everything is burning." And sort of he said, "Oh, me? I'm burning." He said, "Every <laughs> everything is burning. What is burning?" He said, "The eye is burning. Forms are burning. Eye consciousness is burning. Eye contact is burning." Whatever is felt as pleasant or painful or neither pleasant nor painful that arises, that too is burning. Burning with what? Burning with the fire of greed, with the fire of hatred, with the fire of delusion. I say it is burning with all these things, with pain, grief, and despair. And he said, of course, what do you do to deal with the burning? You practice. You practice to transform that greed, hatred, and delusion. We could say, if you think of that, some of those letters uh, that I read about Iraq or about situations we know of, we can say we practice because there's burning, sometimes in ourselves, and often we can see it elsewhere. Why do we practice? Because we're needed. Because people who have learned something about how to transform suffering, are deeply needed in the world. Why do we practice? Because we're needed for ourselves, we're needed for others. I was thinking of, there's a new book that Alice Walker wrote called, We Are the Ones That We've Been Waiting For. (laughs) That nice title, I think it's from a Sweet Honey in the Rock um, uh, song. But why do we practice? Because we're needed. We're the ones we've been waiting for. You know, we, it really motivates to think of ourselves maybe like uh, the Buddhist bodhisattvas, like Kuan Yin over here, or this is, I think, Avalokiteshvara, who becomes Kuan Yin in China. This um, person, if you look carefully, you can see that they're a thousand arms and a thousand eyes. And uh, Avalokiteshvara is the bodhisattva of compassion, dedicated to compassion, who has a thousand eyes to see what's happening and a thousand arms to act compassionately. And we might be, mo- we might be inspired by this notion of being ones who both uh, uh, transform ourselves, but then bring it out into the world. And lastly, I want to say, why do we practice? Because something pulls us towards deepening. Because there's something in it that we know in our experience, in our minds, that pulls us towards deepening, towards... You know, whatever else is happening in our lives, there's something that pulls us to to know what's sacred, to know what's um, what's beautiful, to know the depths. Do you, do you feel that? You know, what keeps you coming back here? There's something in you which says that there's something profound that I can touch, that I can bring more into my life. There's something, this quality that the Buddha talks about, this luminous quality of of the self, of our being. There's this passage, let me see if I can find this. Luminous, he says, is the mind and heart, brightly shining, 
but it is colored by the attachments, the grasping that visit it. This people who are not practitioners don't really understand. Luminous is the mind and heart, brightly shining. This the practitioner knows and understands. For that person, the mind and heart have been cultivated. So there's something mysterious that pulls us, you know, that says there's something deeper, there's something more. And maybe we've had glimpses of that in our lives, in our experience, or maybe we've had, we've, we've known well. It may be something that calls to us. And again, I think it's, um, it's unknown how this happens. Something, something in us asked to be further born, asked to come out. It's this quality of this deep... Um, it's really our deep nature, you know, this quality that the, the Tibetans often talk about as being like the sky, bright and luminous, but also having warmth and compassion and clarity. There's just, let me see, there's, um, this is a passage from one of the Tibetan teachers, and he says that this deep quality of ourselves, this awareness, actually freed from distinguishing between inside and outside, is open like the sky, Within the vast and open space of this all-embracing mind and heart, all phenomena manifest like rainbows. Everything appears like a rainbow when the mind and heart are opened. And we have some sense of that, I, I believe, that we have, we may, it may be our sense of peace that we've touched at different times. And we, we imagine, what would it be like to have my most peaceful state be more and more stabilized as the way I live, as the way that I am more and more. And I think for many of us, that's why we practice, because we have a sense of that potential, and we, we have a sense that it's possible, and we can, we can draw more towards that. We can draw towards our deepest understanding, our deepest peace, and have that be more and more present in our lives. And so why do we practice? Because there's something deeper because we're pulled towards what is deeper. So, thank you.